Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad, and with me as always is the baddest bitch in the basement, (laughs) the Queen Bee, first of her name, Elizabeth Crazy Legs Dukes. (laughs) What happened to Sex Panther? I I was really hoping that one would stick. (laughs) You don't get to choose your own nickname. Ah, So you say all the time, and I think you're right. (laughs) Welcome to episode 110, where we are covering chapters 60 through 66 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Next time, we will be covering chapters 67 through 76. Would you like to tell them about our spoiler policy? Our spoiler policy is that we will not be spoiling anything on this podcast Past chapter 66 of Oathbringer, Chad has not read these books, and we love getting his first reaction, so we will not be spoiling anything past that chapter. Before we get into the material itself, I do want to make one quick announcement, and that is since episode 109, we have posted two new articles on the Duke and Duchess website. One is a satirical piece written by me, and the other is a series of book reviews, sort of a year in review, written by esteemed listener Mr. Gordon Ross, uh, who does a, a great job and has made some other contributions as well. I do anticipate that in a couple of days, in a week or so, we'll have another new article from Theo Graham Brown uh, that he has put together for us that I read. I think it's a really, really good article. So some new and interesting, different things going on on the website. So please come and check that out. If you're interested in contributing, we are open to submissions. Huzzah! So what do you think of this section? We're doing everything backwards today, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to keep you I like the it. Game, you're Duchess. spicing it up. I mean... We've been together, what, 20 years? Yeah. About. about. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to spice it up. Keep it spicy. You got to mix things up, baby. Caliente. Uh, I thought it was good. You thought it was all right? You know? A lot of ups, a lot of downs. Strands in the old duder's head. Strands in the old duder's head. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because with um, doing this podcast, I'm reading this on an e-reader, and because we've just never gotten around to getting me a copy of it. So picking the where we do the chapter breaks is a lot harder on an e-reader. And I still, you know, <laughs> halfway through the book, I've not quite gotten the hang of it. So I, I thought I had stopped it at a certain point in the narrative, and I, I went a little past that. So that probably yeah. <laughs> makes no sense to you. But if it felt like it no, stopped at kind of an no, awkward narrative point. stopped in sort of a weird spot. Yeah. So I, I get that. <laughs> I, I get that. It is difficult to thumb through an e-reader. I'm a big proponent of e-readers, but that is definitely a drawback. Yeah, I I, I will never be an e-reader, big e-reader fan because of that. Well, big e-readers are harder than the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Keep dropping them. All righty. <laughs> 
Well, let's get into the chapters. Let's do it. Before this gets any sillier. Chapter 60 is called Winds and Oaths. Kaladin flies Elicar's strike team to Kolinar. Shallan and a few of her crew join Adolin and Elicar to try and take back the city. When they get there, they realize that they don't need to take it back as it hasn't fallen. Something is rotten, however. A dark presence surrounds the palace, and the others urge Elicar not to charge in and declare his presence. With uncharacteristic humility, he takes their advice. So this chapter is brought to you by Leather Pants, Organ Music, and an Alcoholic Death. (laughs) My first quote from the chapter is, Uh There are things that are known, and there are things that are unknown, and in between are the storms. I don't know what to do with any of that. Um, (laughs) I'll be honest, and you're giving me a really weird face right now. I've got a really weird feeling about this episode. (laughs) So these couple of chapters in a row are one sort of narrative arc of the team going in, finally going to try and figure out what's going on with Kolinar, it's been mentioned several times that there's been no communication from the city, uh, which is kind of weird because Elikar's wife lives there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been It's kind of weird, actually, when you think about it, that there hasn't been a little more urgency. I mean, I know they've been dealing with stuff, but there hasn't been a little more urgency of like finding out what's happening with, you know, basically the first family, the king's, the heir to the throne yeah. is... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think I remember somewhere halfway through Words of Radiance being like, what the hell is going on in Kolinar? Like, right. That's like, it's like if like San Diego just dropped off the map, like nobody heard. Or Washington, D.C. Or like, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it would be like. And everyone in Ohio was just like, wow, that's weird. Strange. Huh. Prob- anyway. Probably nothing to worry probably about. Probably nothing to worry about. Probably nothing. About probably fine no i mean i'm sure they assumed that they had been taken but like there was no no it just didn't seem like a very big priority to figure out what was going on there or sending a a strike team in you know to get the heir to the throne out or anything like that but now we finally we finally are getting around to having time to to check this off the list yeah it's interesting you know we we kind of get the approach we get what they're wearing you know, and and we get, uh, you know, in this chapter, the arrival. But the whole sort of thing is interesting. I, I was curious about how this was going to play out. So it was a good it was a good read for me. Uh, I have a number of notes here. One of the first notes is lashings don't work on shard plate. Shut up. Can you zoom in? No, my eyes Guess what are my not. first note says. I don't have that technology. Does, what does it say? It says lashings don't work on shard plate. Damn. It makes sense. It does. Yeah. Right? Because otherwise it'd be way too easy to defeat people in shard plate, right? Right. And and I think that may have been mentioned before, but it's definitely reinforced here. I don't know if it was. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was. I don't know. Am I the only one who saw the Indian standing on the highway? Yes. Yes, you were. Okay. I also wrote down this note. Instead... The king wore thick clothing and a strange kind of glass-fronted mask to block the wind. Shallan had suggested those. They were apparently naval equipment, like bracer clocks. <laughs> they're wearing, they're flying through the air wearing 
oversized clothes and they have big giant goggles on. I'm sure their hair is sticking straight up. Mm -hmm. It's straight out of Final Fantasy. It's... We also have Kaladin making eyes at Shallan again. There's a lot of a lot of googly eyes. A lot of that. And he's he's wondering how she stays happy. Oh, absolutely. Spoiler, she's mildly disconnected from reality. <laughs> she's almost as sick and twisted as you are. <laughs> Actually, I think she might be worse. She might be. Yeah. Her hair stream behind her a stark auburn red. She flew with arms outstretched and eyes closed, grinning. Kaladin had to keep adjusting her speed to keep her in line with the others, as she couldn't resist reaching out to feel the wind between her freehand fingers and waving to the windsprint as they passed. How does she smile like that, Kaladin wondered. What is happy? <laughs> her heedless joy made him want to show her how to really fly. Come on, little girl, I'll take you round the world. We can fly through the sky. My name is Kaladin. Hey, man, anybody need a bass player? <laughs> so, yeah, Syl urges Kaladin to shoot a shot with Shallan. And he's adamant that he doesn't need people. Not in that way, at least. Also, Adolin doesn't fly well, surprisingly. <laughs> The other quote I liked here was, and, and this, this I enjoyed, you learn more from bad art than you do from good art. Shut up. Guess what my next note was? Get out of Dodge. <laughs> As your mistakes are more important than your successes. I've been writing bad songs for years, so I'm right there with you. So they get to Kolinar and they realize that something is wrong in the palace. on the stone. <laughs> Into the storm we're born. Uh, do you have anything else for this, Jack? No, 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 okay. no, no. So something is wrong with the palace. It seems to be centered around the Oathgate platform. It seems as though a random cloud of darkness that just sits over top of a building in the middle of daylight is a little strange. That's totally normal. It's sort of strange. Everyone's sort of... Wa I mean, when we get into the city in the next chapter, they talk about how people like avoid the palace. So right. it's not as though there's no reaction right. to it. But but I, I do think people are a little underwhelmed by the huge... It's not like a cloud. It's just like... <laughs> Darkness. A shadow. There's nothing casting the shadow. <laughs> it's just a shadow. Yeah, it seems a little strange. I also noted that Elokar, um, definitely we were seeing some growth in his character. He cedes decision-making to others when they disagree about the best approach to the city. And we've seen that continually in his character over the last couple of times that we've seen him. So I think that's just important to note. Yeah, I had the same note actually in the in the next chapter, but essentially stating the same thing, that you can, you can sort of see Elokar slowly becoming... A somewhat decent human being. A, a little bit more chill. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 61 is called Nightmare Made Manifest. In this chapter, the Scooby gang infiltrates Kolinar. Things are not so smurfy in the great city. Refugees abound. People are worshiping Spren. Spren are turning evil. And the only person our heroes can trust is Adolin's Taylor. <laughs> that was funny, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. 
Agreed. So Adolin takes them into the city. There's only one person I trust. <laughs> Matt Taylor. Yeah. There's a bit of kerfuffle getting into the city. First of all, they are almost turned away by the guard because the city is just full to bursting. Mm-hmm. And they're told that unless they're willing to send their fighting men to join up with the wall guard, that's it. They can't come in. Well, I think um, they do the disguises first, though. Yes, the disguises are first. Shalon gives everyone disguises, but there are two that stand out. So the first is she gives Kaladin a super wrecked grill. <laughs> yeah. Almost like she didn't want to tempt herself. Mm-hmm. Almost like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, hey, Kaladin is so ugly. <laughs> How ugly is he? He looked like what happened when pageant moms attack. <laughs> Kaladin's so ugly, he looked like he was made entirely from axe hound tears. <laughs> Kaladin was so ugly. He had a face only Picasso could paint. (laughs) Hey, lady, is that your husband? Did you listen to what the old Chinese man told you? Did you feed him after midnight? (laughs) He makes all his girlfriends scream. But to be fair, it's the missing eye that's doing most of the work. (laughs) I'm not saying that Kaladin and Pigpen are the same person. I'm just saying they've never been seen in the same room together. And by they, I mean Kaladin and Soap. (laughs) Shalon says next, if I stretch a lie too far, people are more likely to be suspicious. Shalon said lightly, and then stepped over to the king, your majesty, you're going to be a woman. (laughs) And he doesn't even argue. No, he doesn't. He was like, fine. Didn't didn't give any pushback. I did I did have to ask though. Did um did she change his voice as well? Yes. Okay, because he talks a lot. Yes. It would be weird if this you know beautiful light eyed woman runs around being like you over there, get over here. Yes, my I wife? think it's mentioned that yeah. that his that the, his voice was okay, changed right. as well. He looks like a beautiful light eyed woman, but we all know it's what's on the inside that counts. It's horseradish. <laughs> Elkar also comes to an important realization about the the reason behind why light eyes get to rule Roshar, and it's because of their resemblance to Radiance, which is not a new thing to us, but it's it's new for him to kind of realize that he's grasping this, and he's really kind of letting go of his vanity and his selfishness. He's still kind of a dummy, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the first step to realizing it's sort of arbitrary. Right. Uh, the only other note I had in this chapter was Kaladin's observation. Those strata, he thought, they remind me of the tunnels in Eurothero. Could there be some connection? No. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson put this here for no reason. Oh, he always does that. He's, he's a big fan of that. drops things all the time, doesn't he? Absolutely. We have a new character that gets mentioned and has been mentioned several times, High Marshal Azure. Yeah. But we don't ever meet uh, this person. But the, the name being dropped several times in two chapters makes you think we're going to eventually. Pro- probably. Probably something we should pay attention to. Also, we noted that the Spren and Kolinar are corrupted somehow. Yeah, I, I uh, had that note as well. Actually, in the next chapter, I said all the Spren here seem to be 
perverted in some sort of way, like chubby cake sitters. <laughs> Chapter 62 is called Research. The guys get the lowdown from Yokska the tailor while Shalon tries to punch herself in the face. <laughs> the trouble in the city started with the execution of an ardent, the same one that we met earlier in the interludes. The queen has not been seen since the rioting began, but strange orders have been issued from the palace. Elicar is insistent that the dark spren must be to blame. The team decides to send Shallan to the palace to gather intel, and she is forced to reveal her secret to her little group of spies. Could you punch yourself in the face? Oh, yeah. Like, really? Like, really hard enough to, like, hurt yourself? Uh, I mean, it's it's not easy, but I can, I mean, I can't, like, knock myself out, but I can make it hurt. I might have low-key tried after... <laughs> I mean, there's in, a reason why I know. In preparation for this podcast. <laughs> and I can tell you emphatically, I can, I cannot punch myself in the face. It's harder to do than it might it seem. Really, it's hard. Yeah, it's not it's not that easy. Yeah. I wasn't going to like give myself a shiner, but I was like, I wonder if I could punch myself hard enough in the face to even like really make it hurt. And I, I could not. I have. I wish I could remember what in the world why? would have possessed me. <laughs> why? To figure that out, but I, <laughs> I do know that I can do it. That had to be a good story. I, apparently, I knocked it right out of my head. I don't know. I mean, I have I have accidentally swung a bag of frozen meat into my own face hard enough to really hurt myself, but that was an accident. I think that's very rude of you to say in the podcast. <laughs> don't talk about your husband like that. <laughs> Oh, my bag of frozen meat. <laughs> okay, so Shalon is punching herself in the face because she's trying to bring out some pain spren, and she ends up stabbing herself in the leg with scissors and getting the same result. But she's noted she's getting some data on these spren. So some look the same and some do not. This is where having bracer clocks but no cameras is a real bitch. Right. Right. <laughs> So she's she's just recklessly pursuing these spren with no care to the cost to herself. She even goes so far as to accidentally stumble and show her safe hand. <laughs> I mean, is that the equivalent of sitting on the uh, on the copy machine at the Christmas party? Uh, no, that's well, I don't know. That's <laughs> if you're to the point where you're sitting on the copy machine at the Christmas party, you are not embarrassed okay. by anything. <laughs> Uh, fair point. There's no shame spren coming anywhere near you. <laughs> no, that's a different kind of spren. <laughs> that's a different kind of spren. The lady Yokska says that everything went wrong when Asadon executed the Arden. Right. Uh, but implies that the dark spren was actually the one giving orders. So, as you mentioned, this is the Ardent from Interlude 12 in Words of Radiance. So, I went back and I read right. Interlude 12 in Words of Radiance. I was really looking for something that would give more clues into what's going on here, mm -hmm. but really didn't find anything, at least nothing that's a smoking gun. Uh, the, the best thing I could find is this entry. Here's the thing, Lon said. The Queen... She sometimes worries that maybe the Almighty isn't pleased with her. Rightly so, Pi said. She, hush now, Lon said, wincing. Just hush, listen. The Queen figures that if she treats her ardents well, it'll buy her favor with the one, capital O, 
who makes the storm, so to speak. That's the closest to a hint I could even find about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some sort of metatextual thing in there that I can't pick up on or wasn't able to pick up on, but I I don't really think there's a lot there to go on. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it sounds like in the context of that interlude that there was just mass corruption that the queen was letting the city just go to hell. And um, I mean, they talk about food kind of rotting at the palace when people were hungry in the city, mm-hmm. like things were not good. And this Arnett called her out and then was executed. And that's when the riot started and things got pretty bad, apparently until high Marshal Azure showed up and sort of restored order in the city. But I guess what it what it speaks to is, as we mentioned in the previous chapter, Brandon Sanderson doesn't generally drop a lot of needless details. Yes. He's he's pretty good that if he says, I wonder if this is important, you can bet it's going to be important. But what he doesn't always do, and this is it's not necessarily criticism, it's just a matter of his style. Right. Is he doesn't always like leave hints that you can look back on a thousand pages and say, I should have seen that coming. At least that's been my impression. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, At least if you're going to read a couple of times, then then you just pick up on more than... Maybe they're just more subtly Yeah. But I don't know that there's a whole lot in that interlude that that would tell us anything about a dark spren or anything else going on. I think that Elicar is grabbing onto the idea that it's not his wife's fault, obviously. Well, there's no way that, I mean, that could never be true. Um, Elicar would not allow that to happen. Right. Uh, though he does say, and I quote, the dark spren, Elicar said, making a fist, it must be blamed, not Asadon. Were there reports of any strange murders, Adolin asked? And then uh, he attempts to hint at what they found in Eurythiru of right. there being an unmade. Right. But it seems pretty evident that it's not the same. It's not the Midnight Mother. It's one of the other unmade. No, and actually, uh, I even sort of wrote this quote down. Shallan shook her head. It was a different unmade here, another ancient spread of odium. And what I don't get is why the assumption. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that like it's a bad guess, but I don't think it's a good idea to say it is this and exclude all else. I don't really see what, you know, that there's a ton of evidence that says, oh, it's definitively the unmade. I mean, a strange shadow that exists over top of the palace in a world where there's a floating blue worm that has strange faces on it, a, you know, uh, creatures with glowing red eyes and storms and, you know, a, a, a character called the Night Watcher, which gives you a boon and a, in a you know, in a deficit. Like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine why when you see something weird and strange in a weird, strange-ass world like this, you immediately go, ah, must be the unmade. What about one of any other millions of weird-ass shit that goes on in this world? Except that Shallan had a the ability to sense the unmade in Eurythiru, and this one has the same kind of 
feeling about it. Like she and Renarin were able to to tell that there was something in the tower. And then when the Midnight Mother left, they could tell that the presence had left. So they were able to ha- have some kind of connection to the unmade. Pro- probably because they share the same surge. I'm going to disagree. And I'll talk about why in the next chapter. Okay. We also find out in this chapter that if you use a fabrial... Oh, yeah. You attract a screaming yellow spren, and eventually the fused come and kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fabrial. <laughs> Give me your lunch money. And we know now that fabrials are made by trapping spren into a gemstone. So I, I think that's kind of significant. Yeah, yeah. It also sounds like the yellow spren might be the same spren that was leading Kaladin's band of parchment. It, it does. It does sound similar to that. Well, it also reminds me that Fenley has a yellow spren that has been following around. I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think it's the same thing. Venley's is more like a little comet. Mm, okay. So a cult has risen up in this city, the cult of moments, and they worship spren, and they basically are running around dressed in spren costumes. It's like a big spren con. Like Yeah, it's... It's the cosplay version of the Harry Krishnas, but for spring. Yes, yes. That's exactly what it is. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff that sort of gets hinted at, but not really not really answered mm-hmm. in this. I mean, the cult of the moments is one of them. Some stuff with Dalinar that sort of gets hinted at, but doesn't really get spelled out. Right. Uh, not that that's all that shocking for this book. We'll find out what it means eventually. You'll find out in 1,200 pages. Exactly. So they come up with a plan that Shallan is going to disguise herself as a messenger and take a letter to the queen from the king and then kind of just suss it out, just kind of scout around and figure out what's going on. One thing I thought was significant was Shallan feeling intimidated by the city and she thinks, fortunately, Vale won't be Vale won't look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Vale is you, man. Yeah, right. She's like, uh, man, these Lethe. This architecture is amazing. Whew. These guys put the anal in artisanal. <laughs> but she tells Ishna that both her personas are equally false. So she reveals herself to her team. She does. Which is very significant. And Pattern says, you know, that's that's good progress. Yeah, I noted I noted Pattern's approval. And that to me is sort of the uh, shine a lamp post on this, that this is a good idea. Right. You know, because sometimes you're like, oh, is that is that the right thing or the wrong thing right. to do? But when Pattern's there going, I, I approve this, then you're like, oh, okay. Right. No reason to think further about it. So Pattern is your is your moral compass Absolutely. right here in this. <laughs> As it relates to Shalon. You know what? Has he steered her wrong? No, not not to date. I mean, he's kind of a cock blocker. True. <laughs> but I'm not, I mean. That's not necessarily a bad thing when I, you're a teenage girl. Yeah, right. I don't, yeah, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Chapter 63 is called Within the Mirror. Vale and Kaladin go to deliver a message to Esidon from the king. They hope to finally get a sense of how evil this evil thing in the palace really is. Turns out, it's pretty evil. (laughs) 
When Shallan insists that she deliver the message in person, the guards run her through and dump her body in a wine cellar. Rude. Along the way, she sees possessed soldiers, weird things in mirrors, and a row of corpses. Basic horror movie trifecta. She heals herself and escapes, of course, but she is badly shaken. So Vale loves the city. Till she gets run through. Till she gets run through. The casualness with which it happens. Yes. Is pretty shy. It's this whole thing. This whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole set of scenes is very creepy. Yeah. I mean, these three chapters that we have to kind of start this section off, you know, from the from the riders in the storm moment and, you know, sneaking around the city and looking all the weirdness up to this point. I mean, it's a pretty creepy section. Yeah. It's unsettling. Very unsettling. But first, let's talk about Shallan turning into Veil in this chapter because there's some some kind of important revelations, I think, that happen. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've already kind of talked about how Shalon looks at herself and Vale as equally false personas. So she really is the place where she doesn't know who the real her is. She she has to become Lynn um, for her mission with Kaladin, but she do- can't just go from Shalon to Lynn. She has to turn into Vale first so that she can deal with her anxiety and and feel more confident and gain and gain the skills that she sees as only Vale having. Mm-hmm. And then she's got to put a disguise over top of Veil. And so she leaves as like Veil wearing a disguise, even though Veil sort of is a disguise. Yeah, it's strange. And is it right before she becomes Lynn that she shows herself to Ishnar and all of that? Yes. The so so it's, it, it's doubly weird because not only does she have to become Veil to become Lynn, but it's so important that she's willing to give up that secret mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. So it's it's a little on the bizarre side. And when Ishnar says, oh, I never, um, I, I thought there was something weird going on, but I never imagined that the Shalon girl was a false identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and her response to her is no more false than, like, they're mm-hmm. equally n- not me. Yeah. Which flies in the face of 3,000 pages of our experience with Shalon. Right. Now, if you remember, I said no guarantees this Shalon character is really the real personality here. But I love the exploration of identity here. Like, we all become different people depending on who we're around, you know? Um, Yeah. we, We talk differently to coworkers than we do to friends. We react differently to our children than we do to adults. I remember like in the in the throes of being around when our kids were small and like you would come home and I would be like, do you need to go potty before dinner? Like I would like <laughs> say, and I'd be like, ah, like I can't it, just the the entire persona that you put on around different people can change depending on on who you're with. Um I've used more cuss words in this podcast than I do in an entire year of regular conversation. I can confirm that that's true. It is absolutely true. You dirty it up for this podcast. My friends who've listened to this podcast are like, what? You you sailor it up for this podcast. I do. You really do. (laughs) There's no other podcast. It's just a cookie tin filled with unicorns. 
freshly knitted cookies <laughs> straight is- out of the oven. But my point is, this is something that's that's true of everybody. And I love the yeah. exploration of that phenomenon here. Like this this question, what if that schism was taken to the extreme uh, and as it has been with this character? Well, I think that's one of the things that's the most fascinating about some of Brandon Sanderson's characters, that one of the things that he does really well with in writing characters, the two most fascinating characters in this series are in my opinion, are, are Shalon and Teravangian. Mm-hmm. And really the three are Shalon, Teravangian, and Lyft, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, although I think I think I may be in the minority on the Lyft uh, and putting Lyft in that upper tier. But anyway, uh, the point being that Teravangian and Shalon are just sort of showcases in extremes. Mm-hmm. And yet he does a great job of writing them in a way that does not make it feel foreign or strange or unreal. Mm -hmm. You know, there are other authors who can write characters that can feel so genuine that they leap off the page and you're like, oh my God, this is a, you know, this is a a person that is, you know, I can manifest in my brain, you know, and in my soul as being real. You know, when I think of, you know, I think of Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin as being people who can do that. Brandon Sanderson doesn't have that level of skill uh, in terms of his character development and making a character feel real to you. But he also has a certain skill that they don't have in being able to take these really bizarre, w- weird characters who have this such extreme personalities and making them feel normal. Mm-hmm. So a couple of other things that I noted. I have this quote here. She peeked through the iron gate at one of them. She peeked through the iron gate of one such mansion and found soldiers on sentry duty, men in dark uniforms whose colors and heraldry she couldn't discern. In fact, when one glanced at her, she couldn't make out his eyes. It was probably just a trick of the light. And this is where it talks about moving oddly, mm-hmm. you know, but some weird, weird, weird stuff going on there. Um, But the other thing is that she talks about the cult of moments and how they're guarding the oath gate. I thought that was particularly strange because it seems to me that most people, particularly if they have not been able to get span reads from Dalinar, Mm -hmm. don't even know what an oath gate is. Right. So why would this cult of moments be staking out this place in particular? Mm Mm-hmm. So there's something weird going on there. And again, we don't Definitely. we don't we don't get enough information to be able to puzzle out what it means, but I but I that's going to be relevant in some way. And it indicates that there is something guiding the cult of moments that is not let's just say not human for lack of a better word. It's something that has some sort of intelligence that comes from beyond. This is this is more like. than a group of random loonies. Yeah, correct. Something something supernatural is guiding it. One of my favorite quotes from this chapter is Vale talking about the cult of moments, and she says, "A group of people all trying to impress one another was always more dangerous than a lone psychopath." Mm. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last comment in this section is Shalon saying, "From up close." 
She couldn't make out exactly where the sunlight stopped and the shadow began, talking about the shadow over the palace. Mm -hmm. Indeed, the air of darkness felt different from how Eurothero had been when the Darkspren was there. This is where I say, I don't know that I agree with the idea that Shallan says, Shallan assumes it's unmade because it feels the same. Because what she says here is that it seems different, but she's still going with the assumption that it is the unmade. Well, it feels different, but it's still an air of darkness. I mean, did her father not have an air of darkness? I mean, for me, I I really bought that, okay, she, you know, I, I guess something that's that big and bad, you know. I guess the I guess the way in which he expresses it, Brenda Sanderson expresses it, is simply by her saying, hmm, this this is a different unmade, just with her degree of confidence as opposed to her having sort of any interior thought that says, I get the exact same feeling as I got in your, th-. So, like there's nothing there like that to lead me to think that. I think we're, I, I think if we're going to go that route, then we just have to sort of assume that. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know why that's the right assumption to make in a world where everything's batshit crazy. Well, it's batshit crazy to you, but these are things that these people have, have known about. You know what I'm saying? I guess so. Like if you brought like, a 12th century knight into our world, and he would be like, escalators, traffic lights, holy crap, everything's batshit crazy. But like to us, those things kind of make sense, and we can point at something and say, this is that, this is, do you know what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying. I just, it's it's similar to the last uh, episode where the we found all the little vibrating toys in your Ethero, and <laughs> and somebody's like, it's an alphabet. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I get that you're just trying to speed the story along, but... Except that you have to remember that certain orders of the knights have powers of intuition. But they're not... And maybe that's a bit of like a cheat, and maybe that's a a bit of, you know, a God in the Machine thing going on there. But like, Renarin was the one who came up with what it was, and his literal name of his order is the Truth Watchers, and he sees the truth and stuff. So, like, kind of leaps of intuition are not unheard of as far as being an actual one of the powers that are granted to some of these people. Well, what I would say to that is is that's true, but if that's the case, it would be the only one that Brandon Sanderson has not spent 100 pages explaining in excruciating detail. Do you want more pages? No. I mean... <laughs> That may just be something that ended up on the editing room floor. Uh, you know, I can buy that, and that's and I can kind of <laughs> and see And maybe that. an editor just kind of went, you know what? Maybe he just says, oh, hey, it's an alphabet. <laughs> and they all go, okay, and we move on. You know what? I will accept that answer. <laughs> so I thought we would do the next two chapters together because it's sort of one. Yeah, that makes sense. They're pretty short. Pretty short, and it's kind of one arc. So chapter 64 is called Binder of Gods. and That's chapter six. What do you chap- think his safe word is? I think it was don't interrupt Liz. 
So chapter 64 is called Binder of Gods, and chapter 65 is called Verdict. Dalinar pulls his honor blade out of its shaft. He gives the honor blade to Bridge 4 so that they can continue their Windrunner training in Kaladin's absence. He heads out to meet with Emperor Gox in person. He finds that he is able to learn a new language by playing grab ass and shares a bowl of fruit with Lyft. I said grab ass. <laughs> to his great surprise, the Azish Council decides to accept Dalinar's invitation to form a coalition. Things are looking swell until something one of the ministers says triggers an awful memory in Dalinar. 20 years of marriage. First time you've ever said grab ass. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this episode. So my first notes actually revolve around Dalinar's conversation with the Stormfather. Yes. Uh, particularly here in the beginning, he talks about um, Ishar and uses Ishar sort of as an example mm-hmm. of sort of explaining to Dalinar what his powers are. Yours is the power Ishar once held. Before he was the Herald of Luck, they called him Binder of Gods. He was the founder of the Oath Pack. Are there others like me out there? Dalinar finally asked. Not right now. And there can ever be only three. One for each of us. Three, said Dalinar. Three spren who make up bondsmiths. You and Cultivation are two? So... What he's getting at here is that Odium, Cultivation, and Honor each have their own bondsmiths. Well, him and his siblings. He never actually confirms that it's Cultivation. I mean, that's certainly the implication. Yeah. yeah. He tells him that he has the power of connecting, joining men and worlds and minds and souls. He's like a spiritual Lego master. Yes. He also kind of explains how the heralds came before the orders. The orders were founded based on them and their powers, founded by Ishar, who is now as mad as the rest. So, and he confirms that Ishar is the the god priest of Tukul, who's waging war against the Emul. He tells him that honor's power during a storm pierces all three realms, and that's why gemstones get recharged during the storm. Yeah, which I thought was cool. That is pretty cool. So it brings the physical, the cognitive, and the spiritual realm together. And this is one of those concepts that's true in all of the Cosmere works, that there's a physical realm, a cognitive realm, a spiritual realm. Mm, Okay. And that's something that's in, to certain extent, is mentioned in all of them. That's interesting. Okay. My next note is Dalinar brings the, uh, the honor blade to bridge four. We'll put it to good use, sir, Teft promised. Good. The clock fabriel on his forearm dinged, <laughs> and Dalinar stifled a sigh. I didn't. I sighed right fucking out loud. <laughs> but, oh, Jesus. Hold on, I have to set a reminder. Siri. <laughs> set a reminder for 3 p.m. <laughs> Uh, that's my only note uh, for that section. But the next part we talk about is where Dalinar and Yasna and Navani are talking about, or uh, is Yasna there? I don't remember. Yes. But, um, and they're all getting ready 
for Dalinar to go through the yes. Oath Gate to go see uh, the Aesish. And Navani says, no amount of stormlight will help if they simply imprison him. We could be sending him to become a hostage, which caused me to immediately think, why did you just go give Bridge 4 Seth's Honor Blade? If you don't want to be taken prisoner, take a shard blade with you. Then you can't become a prisoner. The only logical explanation for it is he didn't want to show up with a shard blade. Well, he certainly doesn't want to bring an honor blade into a place where it could possibly be captured. <laughs> well, that too. That's that's a pretty important, pretty important weapon. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I'll go with that. Uh, my favorite part was uh, well, a Dalinar showing up with his lunch. Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as he, as <laughs> soon as she handed him that lunch, I thought. <laughs> Lyft's going to eat that lunch. It's yeah. <laughs> the first thing I thought. I was like, he might get a bite. <laughs> and also the part where he grabs the guy. Oh, yeah. And the guy just goes, Captain, he's got me. <laughs> <laughs> some some soldier you are. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So that all happens here in, in this chapter. The um, I think the best quote of the section for me is this one. They go about it backwards, foolish men. They can't draw in light and become radiant. Mm-hmm. They must first be approaching radiance mm-hmm. and then look for the light to fulfill the promise. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a pretty powerful statement. Yes, very powerful. I also loved how the Azish were won over by a series of essays. Yeah, of course. My heart is Azish. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's a place. I think those are my people. <laughs> if the Azish existed in real life, they would uh, all own office depots. <laughs> Staples. It's my favorite place. So... I thought it was significant, too, that the um, he notes that the Alethi Parshmen, when they were freed, acted like Alethi and basically, like, mm-hmm. tore things up. The Azish Parshmen acted Azish, and they came and, like, filed some paperwork. That's exactly my next note. Yeah, and the Thalen Parshmen acted, th- I mean, it's... Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's just another example of why the listeners are just regular people. Right. Until... They get uh, possessed by the spirit yeah, of their dead ancestors. Yeah, until they uh, until their dead ancestors wear their souls like a hand puppet. Right. <laughs> and the whole conversation with Lyft, I just loved that. Um, I really like that character, though. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of Lyft. I know not everyone's favorite, but I'm but I'm a fan. She is pretty like over the top, y- yeah. adorable precociousness. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose. I'm here for it. I mean, people might think that's unrealistic, but I've met kids that adorable and precocious. So, you know what? I'll buy it. Mm -hmm. And I I think this chapter ends with us getting teased that we're going to find out something really significant. Yes. And then... And then, (laughs) then you had to stop reading. 
<laughs> then chapter 66. Chapter 66 is called Strategist. In a flashback, Dalinar prepares for his assault on the rift. We know something big is going to happen here because of foreshadowing. He fights with Evie, who just wants him to stop murdering people for like five minutes. Bitches be tripping, am I right? That's it. That's the chapter. Yeah, we get teased that we're going to get something. You're going to find out something significant. And then nothing happens. (laughs) Well, it's not going to happen in one chapter. It's going to be a lot of setup. I know, of course, yeah, because we're not we're not really going to find out that he kills his wife until the end of the book. Well, there's we're getting into the part of the book of a Sanderson book where chapters are coming. The same character is having a multi chapter arcs, so there's going to be a couple of chapters with Dalinar. But I just only let you read one. Yeah, I don't think there's any phase <laughs> of a of a Brandon Sanderson. I think that's just. The, the the phase being all the books that's the whole thing is that way well i i feel like in the beginning of at least these books he bounces between characters that's probably a bit right. more and when we get to the midpoint then it's kind of the arcs stretch out a little bit that's probably true yeah. and then kind of at the end everybody just comes together in one big you know they call it the sander lanch yeah that that's probably fair did you hear about the uh hundred and twenty thousand dollar banana I did not. So there was this art exhibit where an artist taped a banana to a wall, charged people to see it, called it the $120,000 banana. Why the $120,000 banana? Yes. The actual name for the exhibit was called The Comedian. Mm -hmm. But in the articles it was called the $120,000 banana because somebody paid $120,000 for the banana. It was taped to the wall? It wasn't it was on just, like a canvas? Nope. It was taped to a wall in a gallery. Just a banana. Duct taped to a wall. Duct taped? To a wall. I saw the picture. That banana was two days from going bad. That banana was getting 40 k a day which is almost enough to pay off my student loan interest. (laughs) I went to the bank the next day. I taped an empty checkbook to the window. All I got was the cops called on me in overdraft fees. (laughs) So, I I mean, eventually this like poor starving artist comes along. I'm not not making this up. It's so hard to tell. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Grabs the banana off the wall and eats it. I don't have a joke for this. (laughs) I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is free. (laughs) There's a lot of ridiculous shit going on in the world. (laughs) We will continue. We bring you some of it. (laughs) Free entertainment. I mean, if somebody wants to pay $120,000, I'll, I'll put out a lot more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want to get into your predictions yet, but no. obviously this chapter is just a setup for. Uh, yeah, there's two, there's not really a lot. And, and kind of a reminder of what Delinar's family issues are. So he's already got um, 
this longstanding strife with his wife, who is a very peaceful person, a very meek person. She doesn't fit in with the other women, even though Dalinar thinks she's doing a lot better. Um, she's She doesn't feel like she fits in. He's getting close to Adolin, but he does not ever make time to go see Renarin. No. So there's a, all that kind of a reminder of like, okay, this is where he stands. And then it... And then Gavilar comes along and says, we need you to go to the Rift, which again, we knew that was going to happen. Right. So that's not sort of saying that it's bad writing or it's not right. interesting. It's just that there's not a lot here that really happens that we can really spend a lot of time talking right. about. So next section is chapter 67 through 76. We'll get to find out kind of what happens from that. Indeed. Now, we can't get to predictions yet because we have two other things we need to do first. The first is something we promised our listeners last week, last episode, rather. Yes. That we would do. And that is to get into the snapters, the collected letters that there was so much speculation and going back and forth on. Yes. Last episode that we didn't have enough advanced time to really do any justice to. So what we will do is we will read those letters. We'll alternate because it's a lot of reading. Yes. Uh, We'll read a letter and then we'll kind of talk about it, maybe talk about all of it collectively kind of at at the end and just sort of give, uh, give our impressions of what we may or may not have been able to learn from these letters. Sounds good. Too much explanation. On to letter one. All right, so this is letter one, the original letter, the one we're most familiar with. Old friend, I hope this missive finds you well. Though as you are now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. I realize that you are probably still angry. That is pleasant to know. Much as your perpetual health, I've come to rely upon your dissatisfaction with me. It is one of the Cosmere's great constants, I should think. Let me first assure you that the element is quite safe. I've found a good home for it. I protected safety like I protect my own skin, you might say. You do not agree with my quest. I understand that. So much as it is possible to understand someone with whom I disagree so completely. Might I be quite frank? Before you asked why I was so concerned, it is for the following reason. Ati was once a kind and generous man, and you saw what became of him. Race, on the other hand, was among the most loathsome, crafty, and dangerous individuals I had ever met. He holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards. Ponder on that for a time, you old reptile, and tell me if your insistence upon non-intervention holds firm, because I assure you race will not be similarly inhibited. One need only look at the aftermath of his brief visit to Cell to see proof of what I say. In case you have turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Iona and Skye are both dead and that which they held has been splintered, presumably to prevent anybody from raising up to challenge race. You have accused me of arrogance in my quest. You have accused me of perpetuating my grudge against race and Bavadin. Both accusations are true. Neither point makes the things I have written to you untrue. I am being chased. Your friends of the 17th Shard, I suspect. I believe they're still lost, following a false trail I left for them. They'll be happier that way. I doubt they have any inkling what to do with me should they catch me. If anything I have said makes a glimmer of sense to you, I trust that you'll call them off. Or maybe you could astound me 
and ask them to do something productive for once. For I have never been dedicated to a more important purpose, and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here. I ask again, support me. Do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives. I've never begged you for something before, old friend. I do so now. Well read. Thank you, thank you. Letter two. I'll address this letter to my old friend, as I have no idea what name you're using currently. Have you given up on the gemstone now that it is dead, and do you no longer hide behind the name of your old master? I am told that in your current incarnation you've taken a name that references what you presume to be one of your virtues. This is, I suspect, a little like a skunk naming itself for its stench. Now, look what you've made me say. You've always been able to bring out the most extreme in me, old friend. And I do still name you a friend for all that you weary me. Yes, I'm disappointed, perpetually, as you put it. Is not the destruction we have wrought enough? The worlds you now tread bear the touch and design of Adonazium. Our interference so far has brought nothing but pain. My path has been chosen very deliberately. Yes, I agree with everything you've said about race, including the severe danger he presents. However, it seems to me that all things have been set up for a purpose, and if we as infants stumble through the workshop, we risk exacerbating, not preventing a problem. Race is captive. He cannot leave the system he now inhabits. His destructive potential is therefore inhibited. Whether this was Tanavast design or not, millennia have passed without race taking the life of another of the sixteen. While I mourn for the great suffering race has caused, I do not believe he we could hope for a better outcome than this. He bears the weight of God's own divine hatred separated from the virtues that gave it context. He is what we made him to be, old friend. And that is what he unfortunately wished to become. I suspect that he is more a force than an individual now, despite your insistence to the contrary. That force is contained and an equilibrium reached. You, however, have never been a force for equilibrium. You tow chaos behind you like a corpse, dragging by one leg through the snow." Please hearken to my plea. Leave that place and join me in my oath of non-intervention. The Cosmere itself may depend on your restraint. All right, let's take a pause there and yeah. actually talk about those. Yes. Before we go on and continue reading. My first batshit crazy guess is that the first letter, the original letter, is from Hoyd. That's a good guess. That's that's my first guess. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that... that I underlined that sort of stood out to me. Mm -hmm. I I highlighted this line. He holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards. And then later, in case you have turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Aona and Skye are both dead, and that which they held has been splintered. So a couple of things from that. First, the word hold and held implies that it is something outside of them mm-hmm. that they somehow have possession of. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they talk about the splintering and the shards and it's the shards that they hold. Mm-hmm. That's important because we think that honor, cultivation, odium are people who are shard bearers. Mm-hmm. Double meaning. Uh, people who actually you know have the shards that really power and impact what is going on on Rashar. Mm-hmm. It implies also that if you kill one of them, you can take their shard. It's something mm-hmm. you can, it's not like a power um, that 
what like it's not as though honor had a power and when honor was dead that power disappeared mm-hmm. it's something you can although we don't know how it's mm-hmm. something you can somehow take right which makes sense because if honor was all about the power of bonds mm-hmm. well we know that bonds still hold weight in mm-hmm. roshar yeah so who holds the shard seems like odium well i would also point out the line in that letter where he talks about iona and sky and that which they held being splintered yeah mm-hmm. okay so so we don't really know what that means but i guess it implies that it may not be as simple as as one shard so, if, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. if a if there is this kind of shard then it could get turned into a lot of little shards. Mm-hmm. Which could potentially become things. Well, we've also heard the Stormfather talking about what happened to Honor's power and how a good deal of it went into him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not all of it. Interesting. Okay. The other part of it is the statement that Iona and Sky are dead. Right. Which, in our conversation with Odium... He implies that, you know, he he's killed. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm, I may be misremembering this, but I believe he said that, you know, he's killed Honor and he's killed other ones before. Yes. So more evidence that race is odium. I mean, yes. I think we were all. That seems of, pretty obvious. Yeah, I think we were point, all yeah. leaning that way anyway. But that sort of confirms it. So that there's a lot of interesting things to pull out of that. Now, why do I think it's Hoyd? Couple couple of things. So uh, the the main one actually comes from the other letters later and how they talk about this character in response. But from this first letter, he says, "I am being chased. Your friends of the seventeenth shard. I suspect if anything makes a glimmer of sense to you, I'll trust that they'll you'll call them off." So if this is some divine deity up in the sky is probably not being chased by a posse. Right. So it implies somebody who's not quite at that level. Mm-hmm. All right. And then when it comes to the second letter, uh, this is the one I think that makes it fairly clear also that, that race is odium. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also in this letter is more evidence as to why I think it's Hoyd because it begins, I'll address this letter to my old friend as I have no idea what name you're using currently, mm-hmm. which we know is a characteristic of Hoyd. Yes. Not, not that it's unique to him by any stretch because yes. a lot of them have more than one name, um, but it's another piece of evidence. Uh, another one says, I am told that in your current incarnation, you have taken a name that references what you presume to be one of your virtues. Now, I don't know what the virtue would be, but again, we also don't know all of Hoyd's names. We know that the name he's using is... Here is Wit. Right. Yep. The other thing I noted uh, about the second letter, and the other thing that stands out, is that there's a number of, quote, facts, unquote, Mm -hmm. in this letter that we know not to be true Mm -hmm. if race is indeed odium. So, for instance, uh, the writer says... Race is captive. He cannot leave the system he now inhabits. That may be true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, millennia have passed without race taking the life of another of the 16. Well, 
I guess we don't necessarily know when when Odium killed Honor. Right. So so maybe that's there. Um, but it also mentions that um, race is more of a force than a person, which we know um, that Odium does has been able to manifest an actual avatar. Right. So there seems it seems to be that whoever this person is is clearly not all knowing. But that is further evidence to what we've said in the past that there are different layers of deities mm-hmm. uh, in this world, and these seem to be some sort of minor deities squabbling. Right. Those are all very good thoughts. Do you and have, it's so much fun watch, like watching you figure stuff out. Do you have any uh, insight on any of these or anything you'd like to add? Well, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. And I don't want you to either. Because yeah. I've read farther and I've read all the wikis and stuff. So I feel like I cheated. But it's really cool to watch you figure stuff out all right. and not cheat. All right. So now we're going to read letters from Oathbringer Part 2, uh, letters 3, 4, and 5. These are shorter letters. Thank goodness. <laughs> Dearest Sephandrius, I receive your communication, of course. I noticed its arrival immediately, just as I noticed your many intrusions into my land. You think yourself so clever, but my eyes are not those of some petty noble to be clouded by a false nose and some dirt on the cheeks. You mustn't worry yourself about race. It is a pity about Iona and Skye, but they were foolish, violating our pact from the very beginning. Your skills are admirable, but you are merely a man. You had your chance to be more and refused it. No good can come of the two shards setting in one location— It was agreed that we would not interfere with one another, and it disappoints me that so few of the shards have kept this original agreement. As for Uli Da, it was obvious from the outset that she was going to be a problem. Good riddance. Regardless, this is not your concern. You turned your back on divinity. If race becomes an issue, he'll be dealt with, and so will you. Sephandrius, bearer of the first gem. Snap. Damn. So it sounds like Hoyd's real name is Sephandrius, bearer of the first gem. Oh, well, and that jives with the, what is it, the second letter where they ask if they've if he's given up on the gemstone. Yeah, I, I, and I don't really know what sort of, the you know, what gem is in comparison to, I mean, I think right. we have a decent, I think we have the beginning of a sense of what the shards mean in this context. I have no idea what a gem means in right. this context. right. Uh, and again, I'm sort of assuming, or based on some what I think is decent contextual evidence, that Sephandrius is Hoyd. Right. But we can't we can't definitively say that's the case. Right. But you turned your back on divinity. You're just a man. I see you intrusing in my world. You you can't hide from me. Mm-hmm. Now we don't. What's what would be interesting to know is the the author of this letter. Is the you know whose land is it? Mm-hmm. Is it the world of Warbringer, right, or Warbreaker, War Broader, um, War Buyer, or is it the world? You know, is this somebody involved in Roshar? I right. doubt it's anything to do with Roshar, but it could also be any other of the co- planets in the Cosmere, because my understanding is always a constant in almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, the fourth letter goes like this. You must know better than to approach us by relying on the presumption of past relationship. You have spoken to one who cannot respond. We, instead, will take your communication to us. Though we know not how you located us upon this world, 
we are indeed intrigued, for we thought it well hidden, insignificant among our many realms. As the waves of the sea must continue to surge, so must our will continue resolute, alone. Did you expect anything else from us? We need not suffer the interference of another. Race is contained, and we care not for his prison. Indeed, we admire his initiative. Perhaps if you had approached the correct one of us with your plea, it would have found favorable audience. But we stand in the sea, pleased with our domains. Leave us alone. We also instruct that you should not return to Oberdai. We have claimed that world, and a new avatar of our being is beginning to manifest there. She is young yet, and as a precaution she has been instilled with an intense and overpowering dislike of you. That is all we will say at this time. If you wish more, seek these waters in person and overcome the tests we have created. Only in this will you earn our respect. Don't come here. No, come here. No, don't come here. No, don't come here. But come here. You better not come here. Sorry. You bad boy. (laughs) It's just my summation of that letter. Yeah, right. I suspect that this one in particular probably has more to do with the greater Cosmere right. than than anything specific to Roshar, other than the we care not for his prison. In other words, mm-hmm. we don't really give a shit about Roshar. Right. Uh, but the comments about, I mean, there's so many comments about the sea and we stand in the mm-hmm. sea it's, it, that it, it, whatever world is sort of a water world in the Cosmere is mm-hmm. probably where this is from. A bro die. Okay, okay. I don't know what that is, I mean, obviously. from the letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that does, again, that doesn't mean that that's what they actually call it on that planet. Right. Nobody calls race odium and, right. you know. So who knows? But I don't think there's a ton that we can take from that. Although, right. if I was reading other books in the Cosmere, I would want to know who this uh, young, uh, young being manifest on this water planet is. Right. And I think it would be... insightful to Mm -hmm. readers of that series. So the fifth letter, fifth and final, says, and the shortest, thank goodness, says, friend, your letter is most intriguing, even revelatory. I would have thought before attaining my current station that a deity could not be surprised. Obviously, that is not true. I can be surprised. I can perhaps even be naive, I think. I am the least equipped of all to aid you in this endeavor. I am finding that the powers I hold are in such conflict that the most simple of actions can be difficult. I am also made uncertain by your subterfuge. Why have you not made yourself known to me before this? How is it you can hide? Who are you truly, and how do you know so much about Adonalsium? If you would speak to me further, I request open honesty. Return to my lands, approach my servants, and I will see what I can do for your quest. I don't know how or why, but I feel like this one comes from the world that Warbreaker from that planet. Okay. Um, and it does seem to me that all three of these letters are speaking to Hoyd. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly seems like they're responding to a similar request as the one that was sent out in the first letter. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe he just... Hopefully it was politer. Kind of spam mail, right. spam mailed all the <laughs> semi-deities in the Cosmail. you got Cosmail. <laughs> Jesus, again? Your warranty is about to expire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even own a car. <laughs> so that, that is our epic Snapter reveal. I hope it was worth the wait. <laughs>
Are you ready for listener interactions? Yes. All right. So we have a lot because we left them out there for a few days before we recorded. So there's a lot here. Right. We'll do our best to get through them. If we have some we feel like we've already addressed, we'll probably uh, try to skip those for time purposes. So the first question is from Ian James Crone. It says, what are your thoughts on the post-Game of Thrones adaptation rush? What shows have you liked and what adaptations in development are you looking forward to? I mean, Wheel of Time, baby. I am so excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. The one I'm most looking forward to, I I, I don't know if it can quite be categorized the same way, but uh, but the thing I'm most looking forward to sort of in our wheelhouse, our nerdy sci-fi fantasy wheelhouse is, are the new Dunes. Yes, I am very excited for those as well. Yeah, but I would say as far as new series looking forward to, I I mean, if if they would figure out what they want to do with King Killer, I would say that, but that mm-hmm. seems to be dead for now. Yeah. Uh, so I would agree with you, Wheel of Time. Uh, and really the only new ones that I've watched have, have been The Witcher. Uh, yes, and we have had a bunch of people ask us about The Witcher We'll, um, we'll talk a little bit about the witch. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll we'll definitely get to that. I just started. Um, and I'm a bit late to the party, but I just started Westworld, and um, <laughs> we almost didn't do this podcast because I was so <laughs> sucked into Westworld. <laughs> Uh, what I can tell you is... Uh, it's amazing. Good. Yeah. That's good. I, I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Slightly a field, because it's not really a Game of Thrones sort of clone, mm-hmm. but what I think has been the best series to come out in 2019 in the sci-fi fantasy realm, in my opinion, The Boys. The Boys is fantastic, yes. And, and I do feel like Game of Thrones really opened up the doors to, to genre literature and, yeah. and genre kind of adaptations. Not just sort of the strict, strictly fantasy, mm-hmm. though clearly, most obviously in that area. Right, right. Chris Martin says, on a scale from one to 10, do these pants make my ass look big? Absolutely not. Purple. <laughs> That's how Chad reacts when I ask those questions. <laughs> non sequitur, just... Just duck and cover. Carrots. <laughs> Carrots, I say, don't ask me again. Or Inbar says, following Sanderson live blogging his writing process with Stormlight 4, what do you think about his relationship with the fans? Do you think it's good when authors let the fans be so involved and up to date? I mean, I think that's just one of his main strengths. I think not only do I think it's one of his main strengths, I think he knows it's one of his main strengths. Yeah. And he is not afraid to lean on it. Like oh yeah, I mean there's there's a there's a progress bar for yeah. <laughs> the new book. I mean, and he sticks with. I, I I was very impressed with his this last update because he basically said, "Okay, I'm locking myself in a room for 12 to 18 hours," and he really did. He was like, his last update was at like four o'clock in the morning, and he was like, "I'm done," you know, and he really did just lock himself in a room, and like every two to three hours he would hop on, uh. Hop, hop on social media and be like, okay, I just wrote this many words. I just wrote this many scenes. And like, he stuck to it. I know that there's no way to tell this definitively, but how many new Brandon Sanderson books are sold because people are frustrated with Patrick Rothfuss or George R. R. Martin? It's like, how many new book club podcasts 
get listened to and found because people are frustrated that the Duke and Duchess has slowed down production. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's plenty. There's plenty of cake for everyone. We're always. <laughs> but but seriously, I I do think that that's. I mean, I agree that's a strength. I think he knows it's a strength, mm-hmm. and I think he's completely fine to be like, hey, yeah. I know Patrick Rothfuss hasn't released a book in eight years. I've released eight books. Except that he, I have never seen, (laughs) not a single word of him being negative about any other author. No, no, no. Never. I I don't think he would ever, I don't think he ever would be. I don't think that enters his mind um, because I don't think that's in his personality to be that way. Right. But I, but I do think that he benefits from it. And I, I think he knows that. Absolutely. I mean, certainly something that I see his, Plenty of people, myself included, are fans of both him and Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin. And I, I love them all yeah. equally. Um, there are certainly uh, fans who love one and not the other, and they I get kind of tired of that. But, but they, I think, more from a from a fan perspective, um, will kind of point out those differences. Yeah, but I, I, it would be hard for me to say it's a bad thing. No, I, I think it's great. I have a lot of respect for what he does, and um, and but, I think it's cool to watch his updates and yeah, stuff. But I think it's also kind of important that these things come from kind of the personality of who the author is. That, right. That's his personality. Yeah. You know, if Scott Lynch were to try to a- adopt that style, like it, it would not be true to who he is. Right. Uh, you know, and it would just lead to him you know, being frustrated and us being frustrated with him, you know, so I think it's, it works for him because of who he is. Right. You know, and Scott Lynch, you know, is kind of quiet and doesn't talk about a lot except for politics. And that's kind of his strength and that's important to him. And that, you know, um, so I think we just kind of have to let them be who they are and they all give us great material and, you know, be happy when it comes out and happy that we have a Sanderson who is prolific you know, and then happy that we have other writers who I would, who are clearly not as prolific, but I would argue are better writers. Well, maybe you prefer their writing. I would say I prefer their writing. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I read, um, I just read, he also has put out in the time that he's been writing this, put out an, another of his YA sci-fi series. And I read it and I absolutely loved it. It was, it was great. I mean... Well, what I, what I will also say as much, and we're we're giving you way more than than the way more to than the you asked for. Um, what I will also say, and I'm sure I'll say this again, is I like I like these books. They're not my favorite books, but I like these books. But but Brandon Sanderson's standalone novels to me are fantastic. Like mm-hmm. I really love his shorter works more than I like the long drawn out series. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Katrina Newton says, how was your 2019? Aw. Oh, look at this. This works out well. Uh, what was your favorite book you read this year and your least favorite? So I was just, you know, talking about that. I think my my favorite books that I've read this year have been Warbreaker and The Murderbot Diaries. Love the Murderbot Diaries. I won't say which one was my least favorite because I, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to. I don't want to cast any negativity towards any authors who have frankly accomplished something I'll never accomplish in my life. <laughs> Even if the book isn't great, I am not writing a novel. 
Um, it would be hard for me to pick a favorite. I did discover um, Josiah Bancroft this year and Sen Lin Ascends. I loved that series. Um, I, well, I actually put a, a post on our Facebook page where I outlined my top 10 um, mm-hmm. books, and a couple people on the Facebook page have done that as well. But yeah, I mean, if I had to pick, I, the Books of Babel, I absolutely loved. Um, I, I'll say a least favorite, even though I think it was a very well-written book. But um, I, I read this book that I was really looking forward to called um, All um, The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. And I, I really liked that author's previous book, which was um, All the Birds in the Sky. And this one I just didn't connect to. And usually, like, I'm I'm cool. I can go weird places with an author. But this one went, like, really weird. Hmm. And I just couldn't. There was there was a lot of tentacles involved. And uh, <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't go there. You've never so, read any Clive Barker, I see. It, no, I don't know. Maybe that's not my thing. But I will say it was a very well-written book, but just not, uh, I didn't really like it that much. And how was our 2019? In a word, busy. Yes. But good. It was a good year. I mean, but busy. I mean, we had a lot of a lot of good, positive, fortunate things happen. But my goodness, can can a fella sit down for a minute? Like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> maybe in about six years. <laughs> I, I, so. I mean, you sit down in the car <laughs> on, on the way to practice, driving kid to practice. <laughs> it's our life. Brian McClure says, can you give us a short review of The Witcher? So yes, several iterations of this question. Oh my goodness. Uh, what do we think of The Witcher? Now, I don't want to spoil anything because I have watched the whole I don't season have and you... a damn clue what's going on. <laughs> so I will say, I watched, I went into The Witcher um, because it's, not because I was particularly interested because it's, it's genre and... Um, Harry Cavill, who is like almost, he's he's almost like so attractive that he cycles back around to not being attractive anymore. <laughs> Angelina like, Jolie does that for me. Yes, like like he doesn't even really look like a human being. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but he's fantastic in the role I think uh, of so The too. Witcher. Yeah. And I went in though, never having read the books, played the games, nothing. Don't know anything. It was about like it. it's uh, Swords and Monsters, good enough for me. It was very confusing. I watched three episodes and I had to stop and go to the wiki and like read the recaps of the episodes I just watched to be like, okay, someone actually suggested um, to me to watch it with the um, closed captioning on. Oh, that's a good idea. Because it helps make sense of the names and stuff. Once I got past that point, well, and I will say I first watched it kind of distracted. We were wrapping presents. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah, paying yeah. very close attention. Once I sat down and really paid attention and and kind of rewatched those, then I was hooked and really, really enjoyed it. And I actually just bought the first book. Oh, okay. Interesting. I mean, my experience is largely the same. I haven't finished it yet. I was at the end of chapter or episode six. Uh, at the end of episode three, I was also like, I don't know what the hell is going on. By the end of episode six, I felt more like I understood what was going on. At least I sort of got the bigger picture. I had to add, I had to bring you in and be like, what the hell is going on with these timelines? Like, <laughs> when are, what year is it? You know, and uh, I needed a little bit of help there. But overall, I think it's a good series. I saw an article, I, I read a little bit of it that was saying The Witcher is terrible. 
It's terrible. It's so bad, it's not good. But it's great at the same time. And I was like, what? And the review essentially stating that, like, it's not so bad, it's good. But it's kind of fun. And it talked about how terrible Henry Cavill, or however you say his name, is at acting like The Witcher. And I just, like, there was almost no statement in that whole review that I could agree with. Yeah, I mean, I think he's fantastic. I think all of the... I think the role is tough. Yeah. Because, like, it's supposed to be this emotionless block of a character. Like, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be wooden. Mm -hmm. And yet he manages to get it across without actually being right wooden so like I, I thought he did a pretty good job uh the only thing i agreed with in the article is is they said it doesn't take itself too seriously and i agreed with that statement right like it's a lot of random monsters you can tell it's inspired by a video game it's definitely not something that you would take as seriously as like a game of thrones right but it's still fun yeah Brian McClure also says, will we see Ishar in the future? If so, will he be a friend, enemy, or a frenemy of our other characters? Well, and he has a lot of questions about Ishar. Um, you know, is what about the similarities between Ishar and Dalinar? Yes. Uh, and also, the Stormfather dismisses the idea that Ishar is acting with a higher purpose or goal. Do you think he's correct? So a lot of questions about Ishar and Ishar's madness. Um I mean, I can sort of imply from the volume of questions regarding Ishar that Ishar is important. And the, and the fact that Ishar is a herald, mm-hmm. I, I sort of think that we have this, you know, we have other heralds that we've encountered. The two that we've spent the most time with are... Uh, the judge who's uh, Nail, Nail or Nail, yeah, Nail, yeah. Um, who we get evidence, particularly an Edge Dancer, that he's a little cracked, yeah. And then the uh, the Herald Talanalot, or I can mm-hmm. never, I, I can never remember any of their names. Uh, the one who has clearly gone crazy because he was tortured for four thousand years, right? Also, also obviously cracked. cracked, right? So when the Stormfather tells us. Uh, Ishar is insane. Don't try to make any heads or tails of what he says or, you know, try to find logic in it. It would be easy for us to just accept that at face value. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, in this case, probably not true. Okay. Just because I think we have so many sort of examples of heralds being crazy that have been put before us that when somebody says don't worry don't try to make heads or tails of that herald he's crazy Mm -hmm. i think at some point you're going to have to betray that trope but not only that i do think because it gets mentioned so many times in the text that it is going to be important and that is going to become a, a point an important point later it may not even be until after book five but at some point it's going to become important Um, and I think that this is going to be one of them might be a little bit crazy, but not so crazy 
as to not be able to make heads or tails of it. I do think there's going to be some logic or reason mm-hmm. behind it. That's about all I can really guess mm-hmm. at about Ishar. Good guesses. So a couple people asking about, are we covering Stormlight 4? No. Now, we're not saying no. We're, however, we will definitely be covering another series first. Yeah, we we need to take a Brandon Sanderson break. It's not, that, again, not that we won't cover it. Also, I think the timing of it will, right. you, know, you know, we're going we're gonna to finish this and then there's going to be, you know, eight months or something. Right. You know, until that book comes out. And then you're going to need to read it, which will be in like a day. And then... <laughs> Hold my calls. <laughs> and, and then we could, you know, theoretically do it. So, you know, we have a short list of what we think the next series is going to be. No, yes. we won't reveal it to you yet. Um, but we're definitely going to move on and do something different first. And depending on how that other series goes, we may come back and hit Stormlight 4. But you also have to consider that at that same point in time, we're expecting the fourth book of... Gentlemen Bastards. Gentlemen Bastards to come out, and also potentially the sixth book of um, A Song of Ice and Fire. Now, I don't know if or how we would cover Winds of Winter. Um, there's plenty of other podcasts out there doing Song of Ice and Fire material, so do we want to get into that world? I don't know, but the reason why I bring it up is because in a relatively short span of time, we would anticipate three major books, all of which we would like to cover to come out at the same time. Will they all come out at the same time? Which one will we get to first? Uh, Who knows? But a lot of choices between now and then. I'm so excited. 2020 could be a good year for fantasy books. Uh Uh-huh. Any thoughts on the Stormfather's siblings? So I think here we're, I think what you're asking here is about the, uh, like the Night Watcher and whoever would be the sort of Odium version mm-hmm. of that. I don't think we know what that right. is. But the only other major spren that we've seen like that, that is that massive size, is the one that's right. f- that's way out near the Reshi Isles. Yeah. I don't think it's exactly in the Reshiels, but the way face on of the, Bowsprin. The, what's that? The face of Bowsprin. The face of Bowsprin, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's the only one I could I could think of that sort of also fits that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't have any evidence to. Th- I, don't, I can't think of anything that would make me think it's a Spren of Odium. Right. But I think we would imagine that there are the three Spren for the three shard bearers mm-hmm. uh, on the world and that the three bondsmiths would come from it. Mm-hmm. Brandon Sanderson likes him some symmetry. Yes, he does. Eric Allgaier says, in chapter 63, we hear Vale think about Kaladin. I like the brooding sense he has about him, those dangerous eyes. Do you think Sanderson is setting up some kind of stormlight-enabled love quadrangle for the future? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, it's not cheating if it's your alternate personality who's doing it. <laughs> I don't think that's true. For the record, I want to say, I, I am not on board. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that there's going to be a Vale, Shalon, Catelyn, uh, Catelyn, Adolin. I mean, I... 
And I think it's been being hinted at for a long time. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a surprise at all. <laughs> Eric also asks, uh, while we're uh, hitting the hard hitting questions, do you think that uh, Shalon and Adolin have ever, uh, you know, You know. <laughs> Jen Nagel says Adolin would never, not without the proper oath spoken to each other first. I agree. He would never. Uh, no, I don't think I don't think either of them would. And Pattern would definitely not let them even get close. No, they they have not they have not shared more than a peck and a handhold. But uh, but what I will say, what I will say, is that uh, Shalon makes the shard plate go ting. <laughs> so Emily Pierce jumped on here. This is a, a new to our Facebook page listener, I believe, and she says I've been busy catching up. So excuse the older chapter references, but. She says, I don't think you guys mentioned in chapter 22, when Shallan finds Mraze with Iale, he has a chicken slash parrot on his shoulder. I wonder if Liz thinks it's the same sort of AVR found in Sixth of the Dusk. Possibly. And if so, is it further confirmation he's a world hopper? I think definitely. Yes. I mean, I don't know anything about unear- about the Arcanum Unbounded. I almost said Unearthed Arcana, which is a and d book. Um, but I... I feel pretty confident that Marie's is a world hopper. Yeah. It's kind of fun to go through when we first meet him, he's got like a little collection on display. Yeah. So it is fun to go through and be like, try and figure out which world all of the different it's also, items yeah. are for, you know, and I think we talked about that a little bit during yeah. that chapter. It's but. also hard not to hear the name race and know that, Hoyt is talking about somebody on this planet and hear Marais yeah. and not want to connect the two. Yeah. She also says in chapter 52, we get the breakdown of Renarin's name and afterward there's a full page artwork of different glyphs from the combined glyph Kalad, meaning eternal and in meaning born unto. Does Kaladin's name mean born to be born unto eternity? I like that. I love those little nerdy language things. And again, reading on a Kindle, you don't really get to see those um, pictures as much. I mean, I definitely think there's there's no coincidence uh, that Kaladin's name uh, is also so similar to Kalad, mm-hmm. the the herald, or God, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that there's whatever it is then enables some people on these worlds to ascend to be people like Hoyd mm-hmm. or Marais and then eventually go from world hoppers to being minor deity. Like, he's got that it factor, baby. Yes. Gareth Williamson also says, have you both seen The Witcher? If so, how many fucks out of 10 would you give it? Uh, I give it seven fucks. <laughs> I'm a solid seven. Seven slash yeah. eight fucks, Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Although Chris Martin says Altered Carbon is better than The Witcher. Altered Carbon is fantastic. Never, also never seen that one. Um, but I enjoy both. I, I just don't have the t- 
I just don't have the time. I want to have the time to sit and watch it. I just don't have the time. Well, you just value sleep too much. <laughs> apparently. apparently. <laughs> James Donald says, which actor plays Kaladin's ugly face in the Stormlight TV show? Um, I, I want to say Ben Barnes, because that's who I think of Kaladin, but they, they he's asking who plays ugly Kaladin. The, the ugly face. The ugly Kaladin. I don't know. Oh, I... Um, all right. Ugly face Kaladin mm-hmm. is Artie Lang. I got to Google that. Artie, Artie Lang is a comedian. He spent, uh, he's probably most famous for being a regular on. Okay, I can see that. On, um, oh, damn it. On Howard Stern's show for mm-hmm. years. But he's a comedian. He's been in a bunch of television shows. He was in uh, one of my favorite shows that I did watch the the entirety of, Crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Artie Lang is probably Ugly Kaladin. Sorry, Artie. <laughs> Jen Nagel says, ooh, this section. I love the reminder that not only is Adolin a tactical genius, but ooh, what a dandy. And Chad, what do you think of Elicar here? Has your opinion of him evolved? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it has, as, as we discussed. Yeah. Uh, and I really have to say that I love, love, love every interaction between Dalinar and Lyft, who ate his lunch. Ate his lunch. <laughs> and do you think it was their encounter, what with Lyft being so tied to the Night Watcher and or cultivation that shook loose the remaining memories about his wife? Ah, that's a good point. Mm, good point. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that, but that makes sense. Brian Kemper says... Listening to the audiobook of Winter's Heart from Wheel of Time, and wondered if others realized Jordan had a character called Lopin in Wheel of Time. Yes, he did. I didn't, did not, did not know that. Uh, Eric Holker says, ha, finally irrefutable proof that he's just a Lopin and not the Lopin. Aha. Not even the first Lopin. All right, so the last one is from Theogram Brown. I recall the Duchess saying she couldn't get on with the Expanse because they cast a white guy as Amos. If I'm recalling correctly, then what does she say of this passage from Abaddon's Gate? And the passage is, the silence was suddenly brittle. Amos startled to stand, but a gentle hand on his arm from Naomi stopped him. He opened his mouth, closed it, then looked down at his plate with the pale white skin on his scalp and neck turned bright red. So I have fully and completely recant every negative thing that I've said about the Expanse TV series. Absolutely 100%. And Wes Chatham in particular as Amos is fantastic. But it's funny how a phrase sticks in your mind when you're reading a book. And I was Mm. thinking about this because when I first read through this series, and I've read through it a bunch of times because every time a new one comes out, um, I read the whole thing. But the at first it was um adam baldwin i pictured as amos mm. because you know he's he's a big burly guy and then the second time i read it the phrase they describe him as a burly mechanic over and over and i was watching at the time though i was watching agents of shield mm. so i thought about um henry simmons who plays mac just kind of stuck in my head mm-hmm. and um but that once i gave the show a chance i will say i absolutely binge watched it i had to get past honestly i i i had problems with the portrayal of holden and then i realized that i was 
being biased against the actor because he's kind of got this resting anxious face, which is ironic because I have a resting anxious face. Like people are (laughs) always asking me what's wrong. And I'm like, I'm totally fine. But he just is like this kind of tense look on his face all the time. And in my mind, that was so the complete opposite of everything that character was about, you know, he was uh, this character whose his problem was his overconfidence. And so for him, he's always just kind of frowning and like, oh, you know, and st- seems stressed out all the time. And it just really pissed me off. And uh, I couldn't get behind the series at all. I just completely. Plus, I thought everyone was too groomed to be in space. <laughs> like, like, there's no way they have like all of their backs waxed like yeah. <laughs> on Come an on. ice freighter in the middle it's of Hollywood. space. It's Hollywood. I mean, it, I, yeah. Anyway, it's I had not a very be ugly people. I will say I had a very negative reaction to the series at first, but I kind of pushed past that because I completely ran out of shows to watch while I was folding laundry. And um, God knows I can't fold laundry <laughs> when there's not TV. Why on. the hell would you? Um, so yeah, no, I I do think now that um, that it's excellent, and I really like that actor in that role. He has this like this simmering menace that's just amazing and it's perfect for that character who's supposed to be this really kind of dangerous killer and he's got that like thing behind his eyes where he's just a little scary so yeah i'm down down with that that actor as amos and down with that show two thumbs up so there's one other question we skipped and that was brian mcclure asked how was your christmas oh i would say christmas was groovy um, I did come down with a really terrible upper respiratory infection, which is part of the reason we haven't podcasted in so long because it's taken me this long to be able to, to be able to talk. talk. <laughs> this might be the first, maybe the second day you've had talk. a lot of yeah. coughing breaks. Yeah. We'll just say we hopefully Chad got them all. I got, yeah, <laughs> I got one of those Yeti travel mugs, um, but uh, it works like too good. Because I put coffee in it on uh, the morning after Christmas, and I still can't drink it. <laughs> like, they're very effective. Like, how do they get it to stay that hot? Like, did they trap the soul of a twenty-year-old model in there? Like, what? Did, <laughs> like, what do they do? It's ridiculous. Like, no, it was a good. It was a good time, and we and we hope you all had a wonderful uh, holiday season and a happy new year. And now it's time for predictions. Yes. All right, just a handful of predictions this time. My first prediction, and I've said, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, uh, so I might be double dipping here, but Dalinar causes his wife's death. Okay. I definitely think he is the what causes her to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second is, I think the only way to restore sanity to this broken world is to unite them, quote, mm-hmm. and by unite them... I mean the disparate shards of cultivation, odium, and honor. Oh. So I think, and this is sort of uh, tied to this, I think Dalinar and whoever the other two bondsmiths are are going to have to get together and unite the shards that those three involved. Hmm. That's what the unite them is in reference to. It's not... It's not the Alethi tribes. It's not the nations of Roshar. Mm-hmm. It's it's the bo- the shards of cultivation, honor, and odium. Mm-hmm. And then my last prediction is that the thrill 
comes from odium. I like it. So those are my predictions. I don't think any of those are particularly rocket science kind of right. predictions, but um, but those are my predictions this week. Do you have anything else? No, I do not. You can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. Also on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Come join our Facebook group page. Seriously, there are many, many, many orders of magnitude more people listening to the podcast than are actually on the Facebook group page. And I don't understand what you're doing with your time. <laughs> Do you have jobs or Why, something? They must. Some sort of life outside of this. So come come, hang out with us. Uh, I would also ask, please come read the articles that we, we've put on the website. We're trying to to put some more content out there um, other than just the podcast, particularly when you know we're not able to podcast as much as we would like to. Um, but we might be able to write some more articles and we might be able to give opportunities for other people in the fandom to put their articles out there. So, so reach out to us and, uh, and don't forget to check the website. You can find us on all the social medias just by looking for the Duke and Duchess podcast. And we, we will be there. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.